This morning in our scripture reading, we heard about David when Nathan came to him and told him about a rich man who had thousands and thousands of sheep and the poor man had just one little ewe lamb and believe it or not that fellow when somebody came to visit didn't take of his sheep but he went over and took all that the poor man had and dressed that lamb and put it on the table and we read that David was so angry he thought that man ought to die and now let's follow the story in the 12th chapter of 2nd Samuel and Nathan said to David thou art the man thus saith the Lord God of Israel I have anointed thee king over Israel I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul I gave thee thy master's house and then he went on to tell him all the things and there wasn't anything that he wouldn't do for David if David just asked and then he told him thou art this man for he said thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hath taken his wife to be thy wife and then he went on to say all the things that were going to happen and bless David's heart he was a man you know we read in the scripture that says he was a man after God's heart why because when he made a mistake he was willing to acknowledge it he repented he asked forgiveness and David said unto Nathan I have sinned against the Lord and then it says and Nathan said unto David the Lord hath put away thy sin thou shalt not die how be it you know that's a strange word that we don't use very often today it's a good English word composed of three words how be it there's a very clear meaning there is something more that we have to be concerned about so let's think about this word this morning when God forgives this is not the end there is something left which we will have to reckon with and now please please this morning don't any of you misunderstand what I'm about to say for I believe with all my heart that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and I even just sang about it what a savior if we will come he wants to help us and I believe with all my heart that God completely forgives no matter how evil the sin may be in Isaiah 118 come now let us reason together saith the Lord though your sins be as scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they be red like crimson they shall be as wool and I believe more I believe that God takes those sins when he forgives them and buries them in the sea for I read in Micah 7 19 thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea 
Praise God. Not only does he forgive, but he forgets. He buries them. What a wonderful Savior. We have a God that loves to forgive us. But this great doctrine has been emphasized above another great truth. And as a result, we find that it is something that has crept in among us that if there is something that you and I want to do which we know to be wrong, why not do it? Because God is anxious to forgive. After all, hasn't he already promised that he will forgive us? Now, I want you to be very honest with me this morning. Is sin to be taken that lightly? I want to level with you. Most preachers of our day never tell you about the howbeits. They only tell you about the forgiveness. And I'm sorry, they do this because they want to be popular. But I have to face the Lord someday. Every time I stand behind this pulpit, I must give an account. Did I tell you all the truth? And here is the truth. There are certain consequences, byproducts, if you please, that are tragic and inescapable, the result of every sin we commit. And this we should ever keep in our mind when the devil brings these tremendous temptations that we are faced with today. Let me tell you like it is. The other day I saw a group walking down the sidewalk here in Myrtle Creek. There was a young lady. And she was having a wonderful time as she was dragging on a cigarette between her lips. The cool thing to do. But the undisputed fact is that every time you smoke one cigarette, you take 12 to 14 minutes of your life. And that's an undisputed fact of science today. Oh, this young lady that I saw may quit smoking, and I hope she does. Someday she may be converted. She may get rid of her bad habit by the grace of God. But there will be the how be it's. And don't forget that. Let me tell you a story. In a certain college that I know very, very well, I have often stood on the campus, there was a young man, he was a macho type, you know. He was developing and growing, and he felt that strength of manhood. There wasn't anything that he couldn't do. He was a man. But when he went to the college, his professors told him certain things that he ought not to do, and he didn't like it. And then he went to the church, and the preacher had the nerve to stand up and tell him there were some things that he shouldn't do, and he didn't like it. And then he went home, and bless mom and dad, you know, our Christian parents are always trying to help us. And they told him there were certain things that he ought not to do, and he didn't like it. 
So what does he do? Why, well, he said, I'm a man. I can do now as I please. And so he did. He rebelled. He left the school. He left the church. He left his home. And he went out to be a prodigal. And I mean he really lived it up. And what a change took place. There was a little package of cigarettes up here in his shirt pocket. And I mean he smoked one after the other. He was a chain smoker. And then he carried a little flask in the back hip pocket, which he drank quite often. He used to come back to the college and stand in front of that boy's dorm, and when the young men would come out, he had the nerve to stand there and say, you fools, why don't you have a good time like I am? Can't you see? How come you are still doing the things that they're trying to teach you in this school? And I mean, he really lived it up. It was wine, women, and song. He occasionally even visited the red light district. I mean, he lived it up day and night. And then about 15 years later, he got sick and tired of those hangovers every morning. Uh, life somehow just wasn't what he expected it to be. And to make matters wor worse, his heart kept telling him the things that he learned in college, that he learned at the church, that his parents had told him. And he said, you know, I think they were right after all. And so one day he made a decision. He came back to the home and knocked at the door and said, Mom and Dad, will you forgive me? And you know they did. With arms, they put them around him. And then he went back to the college and there were still some of those professors and he went to them and asked forgiveness for the way he had acted. And then he went to church. There was a re revival in that big church. And somehow, by the grace of God, he gave up his evil habits. He made a change. In a few months, he was rebaptized. There was a mighty, complete transformation. He requested of the board that they allow him to teach the Sabbath school class of young men. And there was a number of them there. He said, you know, I see these fellows, they're facing the same temptations. I think that I can help them. And so they gave them the privilege of teaching the Sabbath school class. For several years, he was a power for God in that institution. And then one day, he didn't feel very good. And then after a few months, he finally went to the family doctor. There followed many tests and examinations. And then the doctor came in and sat down beside him and said, son, I've got some bad news for you. You have unoperable lung cancer. I can only give you six months to live. The how be it. Listen to me carefully. Have you ever stood by the bedside of someone dying with lung cancer as I have? You know, the lung has to expand and contract every time you breathe. And when it pulls that cancerous growth, the pain is like hell. 
Listen to me. Did that young man make everything right? Of course he did. Did God forgive him? Absolutely. Did he correct everything that he possibly could do? Sure he did. Did the Lord wipe his record clean? Absolutely. Did God place that sin in the depths of the sea? Of course he did. God always does what he says. But there is one thing that God does not do. He never removes the howbeits. What a tragic way for a young man to end his life. May I remind you that every individual who partakes of certain sins, the body reacts differently, sometimes with cancer, sometimes with heart trouble and strokes, sometimes with emphysema. And I could go on and list a number of things that can happen. The howbeits. And then think of Adam and Eve. You know, the devil came up in such a pleasing way and said to Eve, why don't you look at that apple? And she did. And then he suggested, why don't you touch it? And she did. And then he said, why don't you pick it? And she did. And then he said, why don't you eat it? And she ate it. And then she picked some other fruit and she gave it to Adam and he ate it. But instantly that couple discovered that they had lost that covering of light. And then they went back into the garden and they saw the leaves begin to fall. Death began to show its face everywhere. Oh, Adam and Eve repented. Believe me, God forgave them. But the howbeits? Have you ever really in your mind thought of the time when Adam and Eve prayed that they might die because of the evil, the howbeits that followed them? Have you ever thought of the time when Adam and Eve said, let's take a little evening walk? And as they walked down through the trees, they smelled the smoke. They smelled the smell of frying flesh, of little children, their grandchildren, who were being offered to the God of Moloch, who had been heated up red hot so that when that little baby was placed within their hands screaming, it was fried to death. Can you imagine how Adam and Eve felt? Satan is a cruel, damning master. Things got so bad that finally God had to end it with a flood. For it says men's thoughts were continually evil. And only Calvary's cross stemmed the tide. Talk about how be it. They're in the world today. Every time you hear a siren, every time you see an accident, every time you go by the graveside of some loved one, it's the howbeit 
when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit. Oh, God forgave. Of course he did. But the howbeits. Remember Abraham when he went down into Egypt? He had two problems. And fellows, listen to me. Maybe it's not so good an idea to try to find the most beautiful woman. Some of these other wives, ladies, make very good wives. You see, he married such a beautiful woman that wherever he went, he had a problem. And then with this, he didn't have too much faith at that time. And you remember he went down there and he saw the king looking out of his eye at this beautiful woman and, and he said, who is that woman? He knew that the king would take what he liked. And if he resisted, off with his head. And so he told the king, she is my sister, a little white lie. Oh, it's true. He had married his half-sister. But he didn't tell all of the truth, for she was indeed his wife. Well, a loving and understanding God stepped in with a miracle. And the king soon realized his mistake. He chided Abraham for not telling him the full truth. And theologians today are quite well agreed that the king gave Abraham a going-away present by the name of Hagar. And you know the story. He got in trouble again. And Hagar became the mother of his son Ishmael, who became the father of the Mohammedan race. And let me tell you something. That race almost at one time destroyed Christianity with the sword. Read about it in history. And that race today is the most impregnable religion in the world. It hates Christianity. I've been there. Today in that land, usually when we finally convert some young man, we have to take and send him out of the country to another part of the world where he has to begin his life all over anew because if he stays there, they'll kill him. The howbeits. When... Abraham said, she is my sister. I want to tell you, sin is not something to fool with. Talk about Jacob and Esau. Oh, how that young fellow wanted the birthright. Why, if he could have that. He was so conniving with his mother that he went into his blind father and in a disguised voice said, I am your son Esau. He fooled the old man. He stole the birthright. But then the howbeits really began. He had to leave his home, never saw his mother again, went off way out of the country. He had a terrible time with Esau. He was going to kill him. Finally, he made peace. But the results followed with the children. For Jacob became Israel and Esau became Edom. And the struggle continued. War. Thousands lost their lives. 
Finally, the Edomites infiltrated Israel and converted them to idolatry. And God said, listen, I'll teach you a lesson. And he took the Jews and he scattered them all over the world. And I know, because I have been in the great cities of this world around this planet, and you seldom ever find a city that there's not a bunch of Jews. The how be it. When Jacob said, I am Esau. And that's not all. Let me take you over to Palestine today. You folks don't know what hatred is. You just let an Edomite on the other side of the Jordan meet a Jew. And you'll never see such hatred. You can see murder. If they had a sword, if they had a right, if they could do it, they'd kill each other on the spot. The how be it. When Jacob said, I am Esau. Oh, God forgave. But the how be it's. Let me tell you of a modern case. A minister told me this. He said in his church there was a fine young man who was holding a church office. If ever there was a good Christian in the church, he was positive that this young man was. But this young man had sinned with his body. And he was filled with disease and pain. He would often come and knock at the pastor's study and say, please, can you do anything for me? I can hardly stand it. What could the pastor do but point him to a time when there would be no more sorrow, there would be no more pain, there would be no more death? And he would pray with him. One day this young man was sitting in the pew on the Sabbath day. The pain was so bad he couldn't stand it. He got up to walk outside, but he never got to the door. He fell over dead. The only answer that God could give to relieve the pain, the how be it. You know, I used to live in Florida. I've gone through some mighty hurricanes, and I'm more scared of a hurricane than I am a, an earthquake. Maybe that's because I've never been in such great earthquakes. Oh, I've seen the chimneys come tumbling down. I've been in earthquakes, but nothing like a hurricane when within that hurricane a tornado is spawned. And I've seen the place where there was a whole row of 20, 30 houses, brand new ones, concrete reinforced with steel, and there wasn't a thing but the concrete slab left. I remember walking down the beach after a mighty hurricane. It had left four days up the way. It was now striking the coast of Maine. And yet those waves that usually in Florida are not like in California or Oregon, they're seldom more than a couple of feet high as they break into the shore. But here they were coming seven and eight and ten feet high, destroying everything within their reach. The wind is hushed. The storm is gone. The winds of the ocean keep rolling on and reckless of all they have done before. Madly they rush against trembling shore and whiten the beach with their foaming spray like the wreaths of snow on a winter's day. Yes, the wind is hushed. 
the storm is gone, but the waves of the ocean keep rolling on. The howbeits. Now be honest with me. Every one of you here this morning, you have experienced the howbeits in your life, for you have all sinned with me. But by the grace of God, we've repented, we've been forgiven, we have experienced the peace of God's forgiveness and pardon, but nevertheless, you and I have experienced the howbeits. For I read in our text, And Nathan said to David, The Lord hath put away thy sin, howbeit. How? In your memory. And you need not argue with me, for as I speak right now, you find that your memory flashes into your memory, a sin that you confessed, a sin that God forgave, but your memory of it is as fresh as yesterday. And I've got news for you. Until the Lord comes, you will always remember it. And there are three reasons. God wants to keep you humble. He wants you to remember to ask for help when future temptations are placed in your way by Satan. And thirdly, he wants you to be charitable in your judgment of others. You see, when you see somebody take a dollar, you just don't say, oh, how terrible. Oh, that's awful, because you remember the day when you took 50 cents. And you remember the words of David. He said, my sin is always before me. Morally, and I'm speaking plain today, a black poet, I think, has put it in words that cannot be misunderstood. Listen. With mighty leaps and bounds, I followed passion's hounds. My hot blood had its day, lust, gluttony, and drink. I chased a hell's black brink both night and day. And now that I grow old and my slow blood is cold and feeble comes my breath, I am followed by those same hounds whose mighty leaps and bounds haunt me even unto death. I want you to consider that every time you sin, you lose some moral strength. Some years ago, I was the pastor of the Linwood Church in Los Angeles, and an FBI agent one day knocked at my door. I want to give you a picture of the FBI that I don't suppose any of you have ever thought of. This young man, when I, this fellow when I brought him in, said, you know, there is in your community, and he was not a member of my church, he said, there is a young man whom we have enough on we can put in jail for life. But he said, I've been impressed with this fellow. He never had a chance. 
His father was a drunkard. His mother was a drunkard. No one ever taught him the right or wrong. And here, since we have caught him in law-breaking, he wants to turn over a new leaf, and we want to give him a chance. Do you ever think of the FBI like that? And he came to me and he said, Listen, we want him to be responsible to you. Three times a day, in the morning and at noon and the afternoon, he must contact you. You must know where he is. You must know what he is doing. We want you to pray with him. We want you to counsel him. We want you to show him the difference between right and wrong. Will you do it? And he said, if at any time you feel that this fellow is going back into sin, give us a call, we'll pick him up. And so I did. For about three months, the telephone rang. He would knock at the door. We would talk. We would pray together. He seemed to be making wonderful strides toward a better life. Then one day I noticed that he began running around with the old crowd. His resolutions became like ropes of sand. And I had to call the FBI. Every time we sin, we lose something from our willpower. It becomes easier the next time to follow the enticements of the devil. I think the poet has put it in these words, I walked through the woodland meadows where sweet the thrushes sing and I found on a bed of mosses a bird with a broken wing. I healed its wound, and each morning it sang its old sweet strain. But the bird with a broken pinion never soared as high again. I found a young life broken by sin's seductive art, and touched with a Christ-like pity, I took him to my heart. He lived with a noble purpose. He struggled not in vain. But the life that sin had stricken never soared as high again. And you know something else? When you sin, you lose your moral influence. You take this man David. He was a great king, brilliant. He was a mighty soldier. He was a tremendous poet. He was a sweet singer in Israel. But you want to know something? He never left one son to honor his name from a rightful marriage. Consider Annan, one of his sons. In the Old Testament, we have a record of a most serious crime committed by Annan. It's so shameful I don't even want to talk about it in public. Yet, you'll never find David ever taking that son and saying, Listen, Annan. You're in the king's house. We don't do those things. That's evil. And then you find that Absalom, his brother, slew Annan with a sword because of what he had done to his sister. And you will find that, God, that David never said one word to Absalom. Listen, Absalom, 
to murder your own brother in the king's household? We won't stand for this. What was the trouble? Was he an indulgent father? Was he an easygoing man? Ah, there was a deeper reason. David had stains of sin in his own life, and his sons knew very well all about their father. For his father, their father had committed adultery, and their father had committed murder. And he could not, therefore, effectively discipline his own children. Are you this morning, any of you here, tempted, and I hope not, to look lightly upon moral sins of our day? Listen, I don't care how common these sins are or how the world considers them acceptable in 1992. Here are the facts. The pill never makes it right. The condom never makes it right. God has settled it once and forever. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And it makes no difference in this dirty world in which we live, filled with homosexuals and lesbians who say that it's natural because this is the way they feel Men lying with men, women with women. God calls it adultery. Remember the wrath that he brought upon Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember, popularity of any sin never makes it right with God. God may forgive, but he does not remove the howbeits. Look at AIDS, will you? Seriously, keep in mind that I'm not talking about these poor people who unknowingly or unwillingly have received HIV virus through a blood transfusion or by some accident. I am talking about something that men and women are doing today knowingly and which is completely out of control. The most up-to-date scientists in our world today are up against a stone wall. AIDS, which was considered to be a disease of homosexuals, is now a disease of all, for women comprise almost 50% of all these patients that have this disease. It's now the sixth main cause of death among young people ages 15 to 24. And it's spreading like wildfire, wildfire among teenagers. In 1987 in America, one in every 250 teenagers has it. This last year, 1991, one out of every 90. And in five years, they say it will be one out of every 25. You know, I fear today for you parents you have these wonderful little children growing up. Who are they going to marry? When love comes and they think they have found the idol of their heart, has that one ever sinned? Will your daughter or your son get this terrible disease because of what that person has done before they were married? 
Think it through. And now we have another new discovery just recently. Just when they thought that they were going to have progress, this virus has the ability to change its molecular structure, and it's a whole new brawl game. As fast as they find one new vaccination or injection, it changes. Science today finds it impossible to have something to stop this dreaded disease. The HIV virus so affects the immune system, system in such a beguiling way that it's possible to have this disease for 10 years and be giving it to somebody else and never know that you have it yourself. We are told by the experts today that by the year 2000, there will be 110 